because this isn't Candyland. I'm like nobody you've ever faced before. You can make fun of the color of my t-shirt and you can talk about pie and you can sing songs and you can rhyme and you can do your tired, lame-ass shtick. I just want you to know that come Royal Rumble and you have about three weeks to realize this, I'm gonna kick your ass because I'm the best in the world. I'm the best thing going today. I'm the best guy you've ever stepped foot in the ring with. And you need to understand, congratulations, Rock. You just graduated from the kiddie table, but you just bit off more than you can chew. You're playing Little League with your little insults and your rhymes and your millions and millions and your finallys. And I'm in the big leagues and I'm swinging for the fence. You need to understand that your little jabs and your insults, it's all kiddie games. You can't leave a mark on the champ's face. Come Royal Rumble. Understand, when you step in the ring, your arms are just too short to box with God. Go ahead and pop off, me and my click put on. I'm like a young McMahon, I'm here to get your bitch off. Like I'm Rick Flair, little finger to the big balls. Man, a.k.a. police, cause I'm over your head like guitars. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Welcome to episode 6 of the Middle-Aged Outlaws podcast. My name's Ross and I'm here with Adam. Adam, how are you? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Yourself? I'm good, thanks. I'm, um, I'm ready to, to check my watch, rub the floor for some reason, and uh, shout it's clobbering time. <laughs> because um, we're doing our top 5 CM Punk matches today. I'm looking forward to it. Um, how have you enjoyed watching some of these punk matches on the network? Yeah, it's been good. Um, I think, you know, when, when we talked about doing this, I had, uh, you know, a couple that sprang to mind immediately and then I thought I'll, I'll look out for matches against certain individuals and mm. give those a watch um, and just try and sort of form my, my opinion of, of the best ones. But he's one of those um, performers who you don't, you don't get regularly, really, in my mind, breaking into the, the, the main scene um, very much from an indie background. I know they've improved that side of things in the last few years, but he, he, he doesn't really have that slight, this is going to sound harsh, but that cookie-cutter feel Absolutely. about him. Yep. Um, and I think he's, he's very much his own individual, did things his own way, um, had his own style, and, uh, yeah, just uh, interesting character. Kind of good at everything, um, good in-ring worker, very good mic skills, um, and uh, as he obviously mentioned in his uh, his pipe bomb, um, and yeah, just, I, I mean, one of the things you touched on is, is the, the kind of, you know, would you be enthusiastic about seeing him back, and certainly from, from my point of view, I think he would fit in really well to the roster they've got just now, um, I think they're missing that little bit of I was going to say missing that little bit of edge, which might have been a, a funny phrase to use <laughs> just now, but they have a lot of good performers, a lot of really talented workers in ring, and I think he would really add to that in the in the current environment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'll hold my peace just now. We can maybe come back to that after we've went through our, our matches, but um, um, it, it strikes me that Punk was... <clears throat> I think he would have fit in with what is happening in NXT and what's been happening in NXT maybe uh, the last six, six, five years ago, um, mm. where they just seem to go on a bit of a binge of picking up all the kind of hot indie guys that were 
that were going about. And um, yeah, I said to you when I was watching, when we were going back on forward on text that I feel like a lot of the time when I'm watching him, he's he's a guy that's out of time. Um, yeah. I, th I think possibly he would have fit in before the time that he came or after. Yeah. Um, it's I wonder, I wonder if that's something that niggles at him, but. I think a lot of things seem to niggle at Phil Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fair point. Right, before we before we, we get into all that, uh, we did our top five finishers last week. Um, we both finished with the stunner as our number one. Um, and I'd asked anybody that was listening to get in touch and, and let us know if, if we'd missed anything. Um, and we'd been talking about some of the more kind of horrendous looking finishers uh, near the start of the episode. And uh, Pat on, on Instagram, our man Pat, uh, suggested that I take a look at Shane Helms' is, um, Vertebraker. I uh, don't know if you're aware of that, but um, Shane Helms obviously kind of famous for his Hurricane Helms character. It was um, quite funny for a period. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was, I think he might be in part of the cruiserweight division in, in WCW as well. Um, yeah. Are you aware of this, the Vertebraker? It, it, it doesn't ring a bell. Like the, the main thing I remember when I think of, the, the, of Shane Helms is the character, not so much the moveset. So it's maybe something I have to go out and try and have a look at. Do you know, before I speak about his move, do you know that when he came, I think it was probably with the purchase of WCW, um, when he came to WWE, WWF, they got him to change his name to Gregory because Vince was concerned that people get confused with two Shanes in the company. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's quite something. Um, the Vertebraker is, uh, he, he kind of has, he picks up the guy, he's got them on his back, he's got them hooked with his arms, but they're upside down, okay? So he's facing one way there, head is at the kind of bottom of his back with their legs up in there, and he's got them hooked with his arms. Okay. And then... He just drops, and the person has to kind of duck their head, or they will die. <laughs> quite, quite a high stakes move then. Aye, and when you watch videos of guys taking it, a lot of them leave tucking the head to the very last minute. It's horrible to watch. Oh. Yeah, I don't like the sound of that, but at the same time, I'm intrigued. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I watch a wee video of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's no surprise that the hurricane adopted the choke slam as his finishing move. <laughs> Um, so yeah, thanks for getting in touch, Pat. Always appreciate your comments. Um, and before we jump into punk, do we want to talk about the Rumble? That uh, the Royal Rumble was the state. This is Tuesday, so the Royal Rumble wasn't Sunday night. Um, what do you think of it? Um, I I enjoyed it. I, I think you know it's always one of my my favourite events. Um, I think just the you know the match itself. So. Um, separates itself from the, the rest of the schedule for the year. It's different, it's entertaining, um, and I, I thought it wasn't a bad match. Uh, I just started laughing in my head when you mentioned the chokeslam for uh, mm. for Hurricane Helms. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was. He tried to go for two at the same time, both big guys. Uh, Caden um, somebody maybe. Yeah, and uh, yeah, made a, a bit of a... a a joke of the, the move, but he's he's that character. Um, I think he's a trainer. Uh, oh, is he? Aye. Yeah, I'm sure he's with the company either as a trainer or a producer or something like that. Um, so yeah, he's a, he's a good one to wheel out. He always gets a, a decent reaction. Um, I, I enjoyed seeing Carlito 
um, who was a you know, from an era that I wasn't the biggest fan, he he was a decent character. Um, I liked his his catchphrases. Um, Do you think he's? He, I think he's maybe been drinking some a lot of apple juice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he, he looks he, buff. He he did, <laughs> and I I know that there'd been mention of him being at a reunion show recently. Yeah. And he wasn't there. That's right. And I think there were some people wondering, you know, was there an issue or something like that? There obviously wasn't. If he's appeared on this. Um, and I did hear again rumours that he, he could end up with a role, but probably not um, full time in ring performer, but some kind of different role. Yeah, um, no, I, th I think I saw he was on on Raw on Monday night as well. Was he yeah. right? Um, so yeah, no, I, I I enjoyed the show. I think you know it told a decent story. I I love the comeback of Christian, um, yes. and. I think for for them to to put Edge, you know, belt to bell in the match, uh, great for him. Very impressive, you know, physically for a, a guy who's who's not the youngest performer to be able to do that. Um, I I like the possible idea if they go this way of you know Edge and Reigns, but I don't know if that's the direction they're going to go in. I do too. Uh, it makes too much sense, so they probably won't. <laughs> They have to keep keep us keep us marks on our toes, <laughs> go with a swerve. But I, there was some good there's some good surprises. Like you say, um, having Captain Charisma back on our screens is a is always a good thing. I like the the moment with Edge and Christian and the big hug. That was good. Eh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I I think I said to you in a message. I I, I was just. I don't think they would ever do it because I'm not sure if he's back full time or he, he probably would never be back full time. It would just be the odd match here and there. But uh, if they would have turned him heel uh, on edge, just, you know, have him um, try and put him out, you know, behind his back or something like that, as you, you see so often with these pair ups. But maybe they didn't want to tarnish the moment, um, which I can understand and see. But there was something I really liked about the heel Christian as well, mm -hmm. just this smarmy horrible little character he was so good at it um, I, I was watching Wrestlemania 20 uh, the other night and uh, they kept referring to him as the CLB and uh, I was like I, I had no idea what they were talking about this, so I had to look it up and uh, this referred to a time when Stone Cold had called him a creepy little bastard <laughs> which I thought was amazing <laughs> Yeah, I think um, he, he, I think they had quite a good relationship with him because I'm sure Stone Cold first told them it was Edge and Christian or Edge and or Christian when he was driving to a venue he was on the phone with them and telling them he was just going to start saying what every mm -hmm. time there was a gap in the in the um, what his sparring partner verbally was saying um, and you know Christian was like laughing saying he's most ridiculous thing I've ever heard and became huge and they still do it to this day. God. <laughs> Simultaneously the best and worst thing that ever happened <laughs> in wrestling. Yep. No, it was a good it was a good event. Um I d I didn't have much to say about uh, Drew and Goldberg. It kinda was what it was. Yeah. It was never gonna be a twenty five minute technical match. Um and I've not seen Reigns and Owens but from your point of view, is that a good match? I, I I thought it was pretty good in that they they didn't really Owens didn't come out of it looking weak despite the fact he lost the match. So there's still somewhere they can go with that. Um and I know they were very much painting that as the final opportunity for Owens. Mm. 
Um, but there, there is the the way the match goes. There's a little bit of leeway there because it certainly wasn't clean. In that Owens could absolutely have won it. Um, so yeah, I, I think obviously there's no desire to take the belt off uh, Roman Reigns just now. And why would you? Because he's he's the most interesting he's ever been. Mm. Um, he's, he's probably the single most interesting thing about watching their their yeah. shows. Yeah, and um, I think you know you, you you keep him on top while he's hot. It, it just makes sense. Um, but at the same time, I, I didn't think it was necessary to kill Owens in it, and they didn't. So um, interesting to see where they go next. As I say, I think we're in the same mind. Hopefully, it's Edge because mm. the the potential of that is really interesting. Yep. Um, if if it's not, then I guess we, we wait and see what uh, WrestleMania brings because I'm pretty sure we now know it won't be Rock this year. Um, I think that's kind of a unknown. With They're not going to give that away when they're either going to be very limited or no fans in mm-hmm. attendance. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, interesting to see what happens. Yes, yeah. So, let's talk about CM Punk. Um, like like Mussolini and Kennedy, he's a cult of personality apparently. Um, so a little bit about Punk before we get into our matches. Uh, highly decorated, um, although there's probably an, aster- an asterisk next to his ECW championship because you know that was WWECW and it was a bit of a train wreck really. But um, Punk's the kind of guy that kind of shines wherever you put him. Um, but ECW champion, WWE champion, Intercontinental champion, he won the Money in the Bank twice, um, two years in a row, I think. And uh, Own Heart, Eat Your Heart Out, seven time Slammy Award winner, Adam. Ooh. I tell you. Bet you Triple H hasn't he won the Slammy <laughs> Award seven times. No, he probably has actually. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like we're, we're gonna, when we're going to talk about Punk's matches, we're, we're talking about WWE matches um, simply because we've got the network at hand and it's really easy to access the matches um, for for you know like for, for all that uh, Punk's had good matches in WWE it sounds like he was this gigantic indie talent as well and um, I know that he's had really good matches with like Samoa Joe and AJ Styles and uh, Chris Hero in, uh, in various different independent organisations um, yeah, so so having having been in, in Ring of Honor and he worked with TNA for I think a, a very short time as well. Um, when he signed with WWE, he was sent straight to OVW for the for a bit of developmental, I believe. That he was sent there to to be shown how to work like a WWF or WWE uh, wrestler, um, which probably started off his relationship with them. I'm, I'm sure he was delighted to be sent there. Um, uh, yeah, but eventually debuted on in ECW uh, using the straight edge gimmick that he seems to have used his whole career, um, and which seems to be which which is a, a genuine um, thing that he seems to live his life by. Um, and like I said, he won the, won the ECW title there, and I think he had some good matches back and forward with John John Morrison, Johnny Nitro, um, at that point. Um, and after eventually 
Movent, I think he moved to Raw, around about 2008, won his first world title. He cashed in on Edge, who'd been beaten up by Batista on an episode of Raw. Um, and then we go forward a year later, he cashes in again on Jeff Hardy after winning the Money in the Bank second time. Um, after this, he jumps to his arguably his best work in WWE, before the pipe bomb, certainly. Um, the Straight Edge Society. I know you like the Straight Edge Society. Um, yeah, it 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 felt. You know how you you always say something that's um, quite quite close to the individual in terms of the way they are, and I'm not saying he's a cult leader or anything <laughs> like that, but you well, know, the, the the sort of I don't know, quite forceful personality that mm-hmm. that he seems to have, um, and I I just felt like that that was a quite a natural gimmick for him it seemed to come quite easily it didn't feel forced um and i thought it was it killed off too too quickly i thought they really could have gone somewhere with that it's a it's a consistent thing um working your way through punk's career in wwe that the things aren't seen out properly um or they fumble what could have been something even better um for that to have been finished the way it did with the big show and it just um, aye no great but amazing work and you know I was saying to you that I really liked Seth Rollins's kind of cult leader um, thing that he'd been doing for probably like the last year or something it's I'm not saying Seth Rollins ripped off punk but the writers clearly ripped off that storyline it's it's almost a it's a poorly done version of it yeah Yeah, Um, agreed now, I don't know, I, I don't have this in my list. I don't know if you do either. He had a really good match with uh, Rey Mysterio, um, a mask versus hair match, um, which was I really enjoyed watching. It's just, I don't know, just a kind of simplicity and straightforwardness of it, of what it was, um, and the match itself was great. Yeah, I don't, I don't have it, but... It- I was tempted by it. Um, it. It is a good one, and it is one I rewatched um, when I was considering what to put on this. So, yeah, definitely worth worth a look. That one. So we go forward to about two thousand eleven, and and Punk's back in a kind of title picture. Um, I think this is round about when he dropped the pipe bomb before um, weeks before Money in the Bank two thousand eleven, where he had that um, Meltzer rated five star classic with with Cena. Um, but I, I'm sure we'll go on to speak about this. But again, that was that was fumbled. Yeah. Triple H getting involved, and then John Laurinaitis was the kind of character that was involved, and it was just I. We'll get into it. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, he had the he had the 434 day title reign, which was ultimately ended in slightly controversial fashion. I'm sure at the time that people probably weren't happy with the way that it finished. Again, I think we'll probably get into that later on. Um, unfortunately, t- after 2013, his, his, uh, his in-ring work kind of petered out and he ended up walking just after the Rumble in 2014. Um, and that was the last time he officially stepped foot in a WWE ring. Um, a sad end to a, a really good wrestling career absolutely and quite a I think for purely a WWE fan quite a short 
but very, you know, successful mm-hmm. career. Um, there was a lot crammed into those few years. Um, and obviously, you know, people who followed him through the Indies and things like that, there is a, a bigger body of work there. But he's still obviously very fondly remembered by WWE fans, especially, you know, I think the chants are still there any time they do a show in Chicago. Um, and I, I don't know what the company make of that. They probably prefer they weren't there. But, um, yeah, they, I think there was there was a lot in quite a short period of time. And when I was looking through the matches I did pick, you know, there's probably a couple of years between every single one of them, um, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, it feels like um, he was that fish out of water, especially when, you know, I was saying this to you on text, <clears throat> when he was on ECW, he was also on Raw. He was also on SmackDown for matches. Yeah. Um, he didn't look like anybody else looked. Um, I think as time progressed uh, into his kind of short hair, best in the world phase, he looked more like a star. Yeah. Um, after the Straight Edge Society, and he had his hair shaved. Um, but I think certainly when he cashed in the very first time on Edge, he just didn't, I don't know, he's not a prototypical um, black trunks, big muscly star that you that that you expect from WWE. Yeah. Um, it's quite refreshing. But also, yeah, I, I just I just wonder a lot of the time, um, obviously Punk's thing seems to have been that he didn't have the confidence of the people that were running the shows. Um, but someday must have been, and I know Heyman was supposedly speaking up from possibly too much. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's, he's been given a lot of leeway and, and the opportunity to do a lot of things and some of these matches that he's put on, I think one of the matches that I've got on my list went 30 minutes, near enough. Right. Um, somebody somewhere must have been saying that they supported him, but um, yeah, we'll never really know. Um, anyway, shall we jump in? Yep. Let's do it. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'm happy to go first. Hit me. Number five. So, number five is Punk against Chris Jericho. Um, This is from Payback 2013. Yes. So, this, aside from the fact it's got two of my favourite performers in it you know we've we've talked Jericho previously maybe controversially um in terms of inclusion <laughs> on on best ever lists hold on but hold on hold on hold on so I think we might have to revise that uh, after watching Jericho's um Jericho's lion salt two weeks ago in Dynamite where he damn near broke his neck I might we might have to, somewhere down the line we might have to revise our goats anyway sorry <laughs> Um, that's fair. I, I haven't seen that. Um, Don't want to. So, yeah, yeah. This this match was um, billed as like a, a comeback for CM Punk. So obviously, I, I couldn't cast my mind back to everything that was going on storyline wise here. But um, I think they they mentioned that he'd been inactive basically since WrestleMania at the time, um, and I believe that was the WrestleMania where he lost to Undertaker. So he was coming in cold. And they're they're playing off that. They're um, they're kind of feels like they're almost giving excuses for for what is expected to be a defeat or a, a struggle as a match. Um, and they saw the match itself kind of tells the story of a, a heelish Jericho, and obviously he's full heel because it's it's in Chicago, 
um, and that means that Punk is, you know, full on babyface, and it wouldn't really matter what the storylines were or the story arcs were at the time. Um, I know Punk was heel in the Undertaker match, but again, that's at WrestleMania, so it's hard to just remember where, where everything w- was and the pieces fell mm. at the time. But um, they they start the match off with, you know, quite a, and I, I noticed this in quite a few Punk matches. It's quite methodical. It's quite slow paced. Yes. Um, and you look and you think this this guy, you know, you're. you're I was certainly thinking of a, a faster paced, you know, work, but it all builds, and I think it happens in every match. Um, Definitely. This is something that I wanted to bring up with you as well. Consistently, I didn't know if it was because I was watching the same guys' matches all the time, but it never it never got old. Sometimes you can watch the same matches and you're you look for spots, yeah. um, and some guys do the same spots every match. And I didn't feel like that with, with Punk, and I, I also noticed the slow build as well. Um, and it felt like you were... That's why I was saying to you about um, wrestling out of time, because it felt like you were watching um, an older an older match. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciated it. And I think, I think what they're doing a lot of the time when you've got these, you know, this sort of level of, of worker, um, I think they're feeling out the crowd as well. Um, and I don't think that they want to start off too hot necessarily mm. if they're going to be building to, to a climax. And I've heard mentioned of a few other stars and, you know, huge names in the business who would go out and uh, I think it was mentioned of Ric Flair. He, if the match before him was a barnstormer, if it tore the place down, he would deliberately start his match off slow because he needed to bring the crowd back down um, before, you know, any sort of big spot or anything like that. Whereas if the match before had been poor, if the crowd hadn't got into it, he would start off quick because he felt the need to get them going. Um, and I, I, I'm not saying that this is, you know, something that they were looking at because, to be honest, the crowd were hot because it was in Chicago anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it probably wouldn't have mattered, but it's the kind of thing until I heard it being talked about, and I imagine only some people, some of them have this about them, is to be able to feel the crowd and then determine what sort of pace you're going to go at. Clever. Um, which is, you know, really intelligent of, yeah. of workers at that level. But yeah, it's it, it's quite methodical to start off with, and then um, the, the from from really early on, punks sort of selling, being a bit fatigued and a bit winded, mm-hmm. um, just from the the grappling that's been going on, um, and the the first sort of thing of note that that I'd uh, made note of was punk going for a, a bulldog. And Jericho countering and and then hitting a lion salt, um, and uh, you know you've just mentioned him. he maybe shouldn't be doing lion salts anymore. That that should maybe be a thing of the past for him. Um, uh, I notice I, I will mention this in more than one of the the matches I've got listed. But what he seems to be very good at, uh, CM Punk, is countering. So there's a kind of a logic there, and I get frustrated with some performers in some matches where it looks and obviously he is but it just looks like somebody is just allowing the opponent to do a move on them whereas when I'm watching CM Punk it looks like he's constantly trying to counter what his opponent's doing mm-hmm, that's which interesting. When, when you think about two performers if it was you know a real contest 
that is absolutely what you would be doing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's there's quite a few counters in this from from early on. Um, there's a, a GTS go to sleep that is attempted by Punk and is turned into a Walls of Jericho. Um, and then Punk's able to counter the Walls of Jericho and apply the, is it called the Anaconda Vice? Sticking his legs around him. Yeah. No. Um, so he's, I'm trying to, mm, try to think how I can explain what it looks like. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's called Anaconda Vice. Cool, I, I believe you. Um, and uh, so yeah, there's a bit of back and forth, a bit of you know move and counter move and things like that, um, and you know the commentators keep backing it up that it, it's Punk's not only looking a bit winded, but there are certain points in the match where it's like he's looking for help. So he's, they're obviously trying to bring the crowd into it, and they're very happy to get into it mm -hmm. um, and and try and give him the support he needs. And it it made me think, having not followed the story all the while, but. I may touch on this later, but some of the stuff Punk was doing in the build-up to the Undertaker match was pretty close to the bone, <laughs> and he maybe if he hadn't had the right type of environment, right type of match after that, he may have been full heel. When I don't think that was the intention at the time. I think they were trying to pivot off to a baby face, so have him in Chicago, have him you know needing the crowd's help mm -hmm. to win the match, have him looking a little bit defeated. Um, and it, it it started to really liven up as the counters were flowing. Um, and I'll just uh, sort of walk through a, a few more segments in the match. So um, Punk tries uh, a GTS a couple more times and it's countered twice. And again, it's got this feel of, can he actually execute this? Has he got it in him to lift him up? Has he, you know got that strength and that control. Um, one of the times that he goes for it, uh, Jericho counters it into a, a roll-up for a, a near fall. Um, he's very much looking second best through, throughout this, this sort of phase of the match. Um, one of the, the, the moves that I, I kind of forgot that he did, because it's a while since, so certainly I've probably never gone through just watching CM Punk matches, which was uh, quite a change from, from normal viewing. Um, he he really likes the top rope elbow, mm -hmm. Macho Man style. Love that. Um, and it's he, he executes it really well. Um, and there's a, a segment in the match where he, he he hits that, and then he hits a GTS, and Jericho kicks out. And you know at this point they do a, I think they've done it over the years with Hogan and Cena, and you know these super over babyface characters where he, he then looks lost and the, the view mm. is, how am I actually going to beat this guy? Mm. I don't know what to do next. And the crowd actually start chanting one more time. Um, so they're, they're, they're basically chanting, saying, another uh, GTS, hit another GTS. Um, they lift up Jericho for it and the crowd's really bubbling, really into it at this point. Jericho starts elbowing his way out and he goes for a code breaker. Um, which is blocked. So by this point, you know, all methodical pace is kind of out the window. It's now quite fast, but fatigued looking with it. Um, and then uh, Punk, another spot I've noticed he does quite a lot is the dive through the ropes yep. onto the opponent. Suicide piece. dive. Yeah, yeah. and it's, uh, it's a nice looking move. Looks like it hurts for, you know, his landing, but uh, anyway. Um, 
we've then got a, a code breaker that Jericho hits. Um, it's, the timing of it is really impressive. This is one of the best spots I've ever seen in a match. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, we've seen all the. You know, Randy Orton can perform an RKO out of nowhere, and it can be so smooth looking because he catches somebody in midair. This is what this code breaker was. It was beautifully done. The timing was absolutely perfect. I, I was thinking about like how how do they time that that Jericho hits the floor at the same time as he hits him with his knees. It's amazing. Yeah, um, and it, to be to be honest, I mean, I don't think they would have ever given Jericho the win in Chicago. But if he was going to get the win, that would That's have been you know the, the the move to do it on. Uh, um, the whole while, Paul Heyman's with you know he's in the corner, he's on the outside, he's he's very good at looking panicked for <laughs> his guy, um, and he's he's selling that big time. Um, and then there's a there's another walls of Jericho applied. Um, the crowd kind of seemed to bring Punk back in when it, it looks like he's he's in a lot of trouble. The the match, the end of the match, um, is something I, I don't think I've seen in another match. I could be wrong, but there's actually two GTSs hit um, in the sequence for the end of the match. So he hits one and Jericho is looking like he's out, but he's not hit the ground. He hasn't actually fallen to the ground. And then Punk hits another one straight away, and that's it, and that's the three count. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was a really good story of I'm making my comeback. I'm not sharp. I'm struggling a bit. Um, I'm against a you know top performer because they both came out of it looking pretty good. Yeah. Um, I'm in my hometown. I need the crowd to bring me back in. Um, and then I think because you know the stature he's at, one comeback win, and he's. You know, he can be in main event picture again straight away. Um, so yeah, that that was my my number five match. Thought it was a really impressive match. Two skilled workers, great hot crowd, um, nice move sequences, and told a good story. Brilliant. Um, I had that as a an honourable mention. I definitely toyed with it. I thought it was a great match. Um, I'm with you all the way on that one. It's really good and, and worth a watch. Um, for my number five, um, I'm going to go with his first match against The Rock at the Royal Rumble 2013. Um, this was the match that ended his 434-day reign as WWE Spinner Belt Champion, <laughs> whatever that belt was called. Um, I watched both the matches of his with The Rock um, I know that a lot of people, like, I think it's Elimination Chamber 2013, they fought it as well. Yeah. Um, I, th I know that a lot of people like the second one better, but for me, this match uh, at the Royal Rumble was was my favourite of the two. And, um, just kind of pipped that Jericho match that you've just talked about there. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I thought it was a, a really good, you know, these packages that WWE do... Um, which you know they're they're amazing at uh, putting together these packages before the match, and this was a a really good package. It felt to me like um, I don't know how long The Rock had been back at this point. I assume it, it this was him just coming back for these matches and the build towards WrestleMania with Cena. Um, I don't know if this was his, the first or the second. They went back to back, didn't they? WrestleManias. Yeah, I think it would be. Mm. It's maybe the second one. Right. Um, it felt like Punk 
was just wrecking him on the mic, promo-wise. Um, he had this really good promo where he's talking about being the best in the world. And even talking about being the best in the world can come across as really cringy, uh, just generally, especially if Shane McMahon's saying it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Punk sold it. Um, and he, he says, You'll, you need to realise that your arms are just... That your arms are just too short to box with God, <laughs> he says that it's just a quality line. Um, but yeah, as I, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times already. But um, yeah, this is this felt like jumping in a time machine and watching a classic rock attitude era match. Um, I felt like they worked together really well. It was methodical, it was slow and built up to crescendo, exactly like what you were talking about there. Um, at this point in time, I think that Punk must have introduced the Shield, is that right? I, I know Do you he, remember? Was, he, he was involved in that. I'm trying to think the timeline. That probably is about right, actually. So, uh, so there was a stipulation with this match that if the Shield got involved, then Punk would be stripped of the title. Um, so I, I guess the storyline was that they were interfering in his matches and yeah. did, were they there to help him beat up Ryback or something like that, maybe? Yeah, I think that that's, that's what it was brought in for originally and then they, I think, distanced themselves as more of more hired guns rather than specifically for with punk. With punk, right, OK. Because yeah. um, he must have been he must have been with... The, oh, no, 2011 was a Nexus, wasn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, it was just a really good back and forward match. One of the better matches that I think The Rock has had since he's been in and out um, and back and forward with uh, movies and, and wrestling. Um, it's got a really hokey finish and then this was what maybe really uh, uh, made me kind of swither between putting this in, but I, I just enjoyed the match overall. If I'd finished the way it finished, it would have been probably higher up for me. Um, but the finish, the lights go out, they're outside the ring, the lights go out, you hear The Rock or someone getting beaten up, lights come back on and uh, The Rock's been put through a table and Punk's standing in the middle of the ring selling it like, oh, what happened? <laughs> um, and I, uh, uh, there can be many people like Michael Cole, but he's going, it was the shield, the shield did it. He's going over and over. Imagine Vince in his ears, tell him it was the shield. And, and uh, JBL's going, shut up, you stooge, shut up. Is it uh, brilliant? Um, so I Rock kind of climbs back in the ring, or Punk gets him back in the ring, counts. I think it may be GTS, some one, two, three, and he retains the title and he's celebrating. Um, and then the genetic jackhammer comes strutting out and says, he's about to strip him of the title. He says, I told you if the Shield got involved in your match, um, you get stripped of the title. He's like, oh, yes, I know, we didn't see them. but uh, So he's about to do it, and then The Rock grabs the mic, sat there on the floor, half dead, and is like, no, 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 you're not, you're not stripping the title. I'll finish the job, restart the match. They restart the match, and like Punk is over to him. He hits him with his, you know, his knees in the corner, um, he's all over him and out of nowhere The Rock hits the Spinebuster and the People's Elbow and the 434 day reign is beaten by an elbow drop Yeah, which is really really unsatisfactory but let's 
do a bit of revisionist history. Remove that. Okay. <laughs> so Punk got the, the I was gonna say the clean win. He got the win after the Shield beat him up. It's a great match. Um it's really worth going back and watching, especially if you enjoyed Attitude Era. Uh, the Attitude Era and um the rocks kinda of work there because, yeah, like I say, they gelled they, I felt like they gelled really well and um I know a lot of people, Punk included, wanted it to be a triple threat match at WrestleMania. With him, right. Cena and The Rock, um, yeah. and him and Cena had great chemistry as well. Uh, you know, like it, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world for that to have happened, but um, that's not the way it went. Yeah, I think in, in hindsight, that it, it might have been a good idea from a couple of points of view because I think one of the biggest things that Punk was always unhappy about is he, ne he never got the main event, did he? he never. No. He was never the the main main event, but also. I don't know what it came across like in this match, but you know I've always loved the the Rock's work and all elements of it, to be honest. But I do remember thinking when he came back that he was he, he would blow up quite. <laughs> he would start struggling physically at, in matches, and you know if it was triple threat, they could have had him out of elements of it and things like that. Yep. Uh, um, so yeah, in hindsight, it, it might have been a good idea. It's a shame. Um... And ultimately, he goes on to fight. He goes on uh, to wrestle the Undertaker at that WrestleMania. So, you know, it's not the worst result in the world. No. Uh, as I'm sure we will both come to talk about later yep. on. Um, so, yeah, that's my number five, Rock Punk at uh, Royal Rumble 2013. Cool. Uh, I did, I remembered the match, um, but one of the things I would have liked to have done is to go back and watch a bit of the, you know, the verbal jarring because the, the, you know, two very good talkers mm -hmm. there. Um, I was a, there was a podcast I was listening to the other day. I don't know if you ever heard any of uh, Conrad's ones with uh, Tony Schiavone. He, because he was in the WCW bubble, he, he never heard The Rock do a promo. And they've gone back and watched some old WWE events. And it was actually, it was, you know, WCW was done by this point, but he just switched off from wrestling. So he, he, they were building up to the Mania 18 Rock Hogan match. Um, and The Rock delivers this promo and Tony Schiavone is like, watch it's a watch along. So he's reacting to what he's seeing <laughs> and hearing. And he's like, my God, what, what is this? Brilliant. It's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's quality. Now I've never heard that. That's amazing that he's he was in that that sphere and then had never really heard them before. Eh? That's cool. Yeah, I think he knew they'd had a match. He just, I think, I think he talks about a little bit of bitterness and he, you know, losing company wasn't offered a job, oh, um, yeah. and he just didn't really want anything to do with, with wrestling. But he's he's enjoying now going back and listening, uh, watching some of the the stuff he missed. Ah, brilliant! I'll have to get that listen. Um, what we got number four. So number four, this one I swithered about and I ended up watching it and thinking, yeah, I'm going with it. So Punk v Lesnar, SummerSlam 2013. Yep, me too. So, you've got this. Yeah, okay. number four. Oh, excellent. <laughs> um, I've not been the biggest fan of Lesnar's in-ring work for a while. And I thought, but it's 2013, it's a while ago. So I'll, I'll give this a go and see what it's like. And I was very pleasantly surprised. Because mm -hmm. um, much as, you know, this starts at a hell of a pace. It's a fast pace. It's 
dominant Lesnar, it's looking like he's going to squash him. And let's face it, you know, he's squashed so many people that it could have happened that way. Um, and then I was actually amazed by how much offence they gave Punk. Yep. To the extent, and we'll, we'll get there, but he actually looked like, all things being fair, he should have won the match. Yep. Um, and kind of got screwed out of it, which I couldn't really remember how it had happened. I knew they'd had a match. And yeah, I was just, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed rewatching it. And it just made me that little bit sad about how Lesnar could be used <laughs> as opposed to what they tend to do with him. It's really frustrating. Um, something that, that I've noticed about Lesnar um, across the years, especially, if he seems to like someone, if he seems mm -hmm. to like a talent, he will he'll sell for them. Um, I think he's, I think I've spoken about this before, he's a really underrated seller. Yeah. Um, I think I'm back to a match he had with Finn Balor at um, one of the Royal Rumbles and he was, again, similar to what you were saying there, he was letting them get in so much. Um, he did the same with Seth Rollins. Um, the, I think the credit for this match goes to both of them but I think uh, to Lesnar for making this seem like a a believably, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, an, an even contest? Yes, uh, thank you. Yeah. Yep. Uh, aye. <laughs> like, look at the two two guys that are involved, but um, the way that Lesnar's selling, you, you totally believe that Punk's is equal. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I mean, I think we, we sort of talked about, you know, fast start, dominant physical performance, but... When Punk takes over, which, you know, early on it happens in little fits and bursts. So he gets a little bit of offence and then the, the monster comes back. And there's a point where um, I think he, he, he drives Lesnar into the ring post on the outside to to then take a little bit of advantage. And there's then a se sequence later where he bites him. And it's, mm. I think they reference Tyson and stuff like that. You know, it, it's desperation to try to do something to try mm. and get back in. But there's a point throughout, maybe in between those two events, where Lesnar just throws Punk over the announce tables. Yep. Well, like, um, brutally. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, actually, about this match. Some of the, some of the bumps and some of the, uh, the punches and the, the, the um, strikes that they're hitting each other with is pretty close to the bone. Yeah. But aye, that, that is brutal. He yeah. launches them. Yeah. And uh, what I really liked, because, you know... The, when the commentators do a good job at this, it, it works so well, but they're positioning Punk as this underdog that won't quit. Um, and, you know, who who doesn't have respect for that? You know, you, you have to respect it. And they're, I think they even have Heyman shouting, quit, tap out, give up, and things like that. Yeah. Um, and the commentators are saying, you know, the, the usual kind of, you know, live to fight another day, you know, that kind of thing. But regardless of what he's hit with, he won't quit. Um, and that, you know, is a it's a classic way of building somebody. You know, Steve Austin at WrestleMania against Bret Hart. You know, that that person that just won't give up. Yeah. Um, and I also that again, he he hits the the elbow drop, um, which is obviously in his repertoire. I don't think I remembered just how many roundhouse kicks Punk used to go for mm -hmm. in his in his arsenal until I started watching all these matches because they're, they're there in pretty much every match um, 
there's there's close ones in terms of you know there's a GTS that's reversed into an F five which Punk squirms out of and then hits a roundhouse kick, um, and then there's a there's a moment where Lesnar goes for uh, Punk goes for a GTS again. Lesnar blocks it and applies a Kimura, mm-hmm. and then uh, Punk manages to uh, counter that into a triangle choke. Yep, um, and you know given the credentials Lesnar had I thought it was actually quite something to let Punk counter his move into his own submission hold Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that said a lot certainly about you know Lesnar's willingness to um, as we touched on before to let Punk have a lot of offence in the match Mm -hmm. What about the spot with the the tie and Heyman and and, and Um, Bro- Brock's going, let go! He said, I can't let go! <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was really good. Like I, I, Again, this is one where when you watch a match in isolation, I couldn't really get the feel for it. Obviously, Heyman is that guy that's been aligned with both these, and yep. they're, they're probably the two that you think of most when you think of Paul Heyman. Um, but I think they mentioned something in the build-up about how Punk didn't want Heyman as a manager anymore. And Heyman had taken that as we, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, whereas for Punk, it came across as this is a business decision. Um, and he was then, you know, full Lesnar. He was he was wanted Punk eliminated, basically, mm-hmm. because he... Uh, sorry, we lost you there for one second, Adam. Sorry. No problem. Yeah, I was just talking about the, you know, the relationship, and you know, they were both Heyman guys, and Heyman had gone with Lesnar, and wanted Punk eliminated effectively. Um, so it made sense for him to get involved in the match. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, Lesnar lifts Punk up, um, and I think he's he's going to be going for an F five. Mm-hmm. And uh, Punk's just reaching out and Heyman's on the, the apron and he grabs Heyman's tie and he's, you know, looking like he's choking him. And uh, there's that bit of uh, dialogue between them, which is just one of these slightly, you know, lighthearted moments uh, um, in a pretty brutal match. Yeah. Um, it's really is great storytelling. Sorry, go on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... Sometimes it, it annoys me when you've got these managers who get physically involved for no apparent reason, but for me it just made sense uh, on this occasion. Yeah. Um, there's there's a, a spot in the match as well which I, I wanted to reference because, again, I think, certainly I do think of Lesnar as this, you know, robot-type character who maybe doesn't have a lot of friends in the business. He does the, the three suplexes, um the three amigos as they were called um, and I don't know if it was but it came across as a little bit of an Eddie Guerrero tribute um, when he when he just goes for one after the other so I thought that was pretty cool Nice, I don't remember that, does he do the like the front front facing suplexes rather yep. than his usual, ah oh, nice Yeah, um, and he does the three in a row and uh, yeah just a, a sort of nice moment you know um, the Lesnar ends up getting frustrated in the match and, and brings a chair into the ring, um, which they, they kind of grapple with, I think. Punk seizes control of the chair and uh, there's a spot where he goes for his uh, 
elbow drop from the the top turnbuckle oh, and he's got the right. chair. Aye. Um, and I'd, you know, getting lost in the in the moment and all that, I did start to think, does Punk win this? Because <laughs> you know, they're so used to Lesnar going over in matches. And if somebody said, oh, you know, these two had a match in 20, 2013, I would have thought, well, obviously Lesnar wins that. But um, it, it did start to make me wonder as I'm watching it, um, because he, there were quite a few very near falls there. Um, end of the match, they, they have, yeah, Punk, Punk looks like he's got it won. Um, and he hits the GTS. Heyman interrupts the count. Um, Lesnar goes for an F5. Punk counters it into a DDT for another near fall. And then he applies the Anaconda Vice. Mm-hmm. And it's broken up by Heyman. Uh, Punk applies the Vice to Heyman. Lesnar breaks up with chair shots. I was just like, why are you doing that? That's really yeah. stupid. That's yeah. the one bit of this match. I was like, no. no, no, no. Yeah. So silly. Um, and then uh, there's the, the F5 to finish it where Punk actually lands on the steel chair that yep. had been been used previous. So, yeah, good match, good in-ring action, but I, I, I didn't expect beforehand for them to put over Punk so strong mm. in a, you know, in defeat, albeit in defeat, but he looked every bit the equal and actually looked like he was screwed. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You touched earlier about uh, Punk never getting the main event at WrestleMania. Um, and I felt that this felt to me like a WrestleMania main event. Yeah. Um, it felt isolated in that, although you had Heyman interfering, you didn't have the usual kind of nonsense of somebody coming running in and sticking him with a DDT or, or you know, just the kind of silly uh, interference that you sometimes get with these type of matches. Yeah. Um, it felt like a isolated main event between two really big superstars. Um, and this seems to be a common theme with Punk and SummerSlam, where he has these really amazing matches. Um, but yeah, I loved it as well. It was, I was really surprised at how long it went for. I yep. was kind of waiting for the finish after a while, and it just kept going. And uh, Brock seemed to be getting pinker and pinker. <laughs> but um, nah, I'm with you. That was great. Uh, so that was our, our number fours. Number three, what you got? Number three, um, this when I was writing them all down and uh, doing my research and you know having fun watching stuff, this was the one that I thought I'm gonna have the most difficulty articulating why I enjoyed it so much. Hmm. So bear with me, I will try. Um, it's Punk against Daniel Bryan. It's at Over the Limit 2012. Yep. And, uh, you know, these are, are, again, two of my favourite performers, but two of the just best in-ring performers that, that I've I've seen. Um, the idea of actually watching a match between the two of them, I was really enthusiastic for that. I thought, um, I, w- when I was seeking out to do my research for this, I thought, I've got to have a look at some Punk v. Brian matches. Mm. I know that they'd had a history uh, in the indies, but they weren't matches I saw. Um, so... You know, going back and watching this, I thought yeah, it's it's bound to be a good in-ring show. Um, compared to some of the other ones, there aren't that many, you know, big spots in it. 
a lot of it is technical mat wrestling, a lot of it is, you know, attempts at submission holds and counters to submission holds and things like that. But I think it, it just as a match shows off the skill set that both performers have got. Yep. Um I think uh, both both uh, performers were, were greeted fairly warmly by the crowd. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you about this. They were clearly trying to, I think they were trying to paint Daniel Bryan as the heel. Yeah. Um, given what seemed to happen with Kane, maybe like on the Smackdown before the event. Yeah. But he's so over. Like, yeah. The, the crowd kind of helped us ch- uh, chant yes. Yeah. When he gets these kicks going and all that. Yeah, and you notice there's there's the signs in the crowd. There's the yes signs and yeah. all that, um, and I, I can't I couldn't remember if this was just the like the yes movement becoming a thing or if it had already you know been around a while. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it, what I noticed in it is you get some dueling crowd chants, which yeah. I know was always a big thing on the indies, um, where. There's chance of Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, and you know it, it's just quite quite good to listen to and quite good to hear that. Um, that, that. That triggered a thought with me as well, and I noticed that as well. And I remember thinking when I was watching it, is this one of the early times that this has happened? Because it's these days, it's kind of like a let's go Cena, Cena sucks, and or let's go Roman, Roman sucks, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I wondered if this was one of the kind of early times of that starting. Possibly. I mean, the first I remember hearing it really random I think it was in TNA and it was uh, AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels nice and um, I, I thought ah oh, the, the, you know this is babyface against babyface obviously which you know isn't a thing in WWF not very often anyway yeah. um, and it, you know I think it just shows it can work it's just a, a different type of crowd reaction yeah. Um, yeah one of the things I really liked about this um, we talked previously when I was talking about the Jericho match about the slow starting pace and then building and this match does similar um, and this is obviously intentional they're both painted as slightly smaller guys and guys who are very good technically there's a lot of spots in this where they go for the same move mm-hmm. so they're kind of faced with each other trying to do the same thing and um, there's also uh, a moment in it, a couple of moments in it, where both of them single out a body part, and it's so um, almost old-fashioned thinking, because you normally just see right, you know, high spot, whatever part of them I land on is where I land. Uh. But early on in the match, it becomes clear after performing a move that Daniel Bryan's struggling with one of his legs, mm-hmm. and Punk just unleashes this flurry of kicks on the legs. And then so many moves after it are targeting the legs. And then there's a, a point later on where I think it, it becomes clear when Punk goes for his, his flying elbow drop that his ribs are a problem mm-hmm. because he can't go for the cover straight away. He's rolling around a bit in his own pain. And then uh, as soon as Brian gets the advantage again, he goes after the ribs. And it's that sort of logic, you know, if again, if if this is real, if I'm a competitor in the ring, and that person is hurting in that area, that's the part I'm going after. That's mm-hmm. the weakness, so I'm going to try and expose it. Um, so a lot of it's probably considered old-fashioned stuff, but it, it works because it's logical. Yeah, it's storytelling. Yeah, it's the old Bret Hart, Ric Flair, 
even Triple H method. That's what you used to get with f- pretty much every match. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, the, the, I, I like the, the finish as well because with Daniel Bryan being a guy that they're, they're building and, you know, obviously they were reluctant to build him quite as far as he ended up getting built, but they were building him as a guy who could compete, I think, with, with top-tier performers. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, the sort of final sequence, there's, there's a running knee attempted by Punk, which is countered into the yes lock by uh, Daniel Bryan. And the, the finish actually comes about where Punk rolls Brian's shoulders onto the mat when he's countering the yes lock. And while he's still got the, the lock applied, the referee counts Brian's shoulders down. So he's effectively, you know, been on the offence, been in the ascendancy, but his shoulders are countered down. Um, which, you know, he comes out of the match not looking like the loser, if you mm-hmm. like. Um, so, yeah, I, I imagine... And, you know, I heard a, a story, uh, I think it was when Punk was on the brink of leaving, um, that he, he wanted more matches with Daniel Bryan. And I think he wanted a WrestleMania match with Daniel Bryan. And Triple H's response was something like, well, you know, who's going to pay to see that? Um, and I think that's probably a lot of the frustration is that he's seen somebody he can work with and had good chemistry with. But then the view is, well, yeah, that's fine, but we need a star in the match. You know, mm. it can't just be a worker. There needs to be a star. Um, but yeah, just really enjoyable match, sort of old school style match, a lot of just logical storytelling, like you say, two guys just, I think, wanting to be better than the other, and storytelling can be as simple as that. Yeah. Um, something that I have to take you to task with there is the finish. Um, I feel a little bit differently than you with the finish. It, to me, okay. you know, I talked about the rock um, finish being a bit hokey. I just feel like WWE do this far too much. It's this thing of trying to protect people constantly. Like, they've just went 25 to 30 minutes, pretty much showing that they're each on each other's level. Yeah. Um, whoever wins is coming out looking strong, but whoever loses is still coming out looking strong. Um, yeah, I feel I like a, I feel like a clean finish... I don't know. I feel like a clean finish is obviously exactly. strengthens the winner. But yeah. say Punk beats Daniel Bryan there, Daniel Bryan still looks like a main eventer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think one of the things about it is, for me, if you were doing a series of matches between the two, mm-hmm. so say this was match one, it's given you the reason to have match two mm-hmm. in uh, the fact yeah. that it was a little bit of a cheap finish. I almost um, had you. But then... I don't think they ever went ahead with the, you know, the next one. So yeah, by by that token, it should have been a more definitive finish. That's what um, this felt like to me. It felt like the first volume in a series. Yeah. Um, this felt a bit like Brett Sean and um, like Benoit Angle and Jericho. It felt like that. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you. Certainly, when I was watching it, Daniel Bryan's in ring. Uh, work really reminded me of Benoit. I don't know if you got yeah. that. You got that. From yeah, him? I think does he? He, he, perf- he even performs a flying headbutt at one point. Yeah, I wonder um, if that's quite. I wonder if he's allowed to do that. Yeah, I, I think you know. I think they were both guys that were kind of inspired by Dynamite Kid, um, and some of the you know moves in common that they've got are probably natural from that. But mm. yeah, I, I, I see that, and there's something. 
I think I, I was going to mention it again in, in across the next two matches we talk about. I don't want to sound like contradicting myself from previous because I've talked about moves that used to be finishers but are now just moves that are in a set. Um, CM Punk actually does a lot of them through his repertoire. He, he performs DDTs, he mm -hmm. performs elbow drops off the top. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the one thing I would say about it, even though they... You know, I haven't seen him finish a match doing it. They do always still feel like big spots uh -huh. rather than just a, uh, you know, clothesline or something like that. They, uh -huh. they they do feel like big moves, but he does take a lot from others. Um, he incorporates them really well, and the, you know, it feels like he owns them when he does them. But uh, yeah, I don't think I, I really recognised that at the time, uh, just how many moves he uses that uh, that have been used by others previously. It feels to me like. It, it, he feels to me like someone that the older wrestlers would really love. Yeah. Um, it feels like he's bridging the gap between um, kind of paying homage a lot of the time, like you say, with DDT and the flying elbow. Um, and there are other moves that he does as well that I feel like he's he's kind of he's kind of kind of thrown uh, shown himself as a kind of throwback. Yeah. Um, whilst also mixing in like the mai tai kicks and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I noticed that as well, especially the DDT. Um, it, it's like a prestigious move rather than a, like you say, a run-of-the-mill yes. move that somebody will hop up from. Um, so that was my that was that that was your three. That was my three as well. Um, Excellent. <laughs> I have a feeling that we might be uh, pairing the same on two and one as well. <laughs> um, but but we'll see. But that's that's if you if you like that kind of style, if you like that kind of angle, Benoit. Um, dueling back and forward technical uh, kind of match then this is worth a watch I would say um, there's a lot less you know like there's a lot less playing to the crowd and yeah. um, silliness if you will uh, that is just a really good technical match um, So I don't know if you watched it because I don't know if it was immediately before it but did you see Josh Matthews interviewing Punk before the match? No, I didn't. That's worth going back and going back and watching. He asks okay. him. I, I don't know. He asks him about something that happened, and Punk does this uh, brilliant impression of Vince about <laughs> if 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 you told him that CM Punk and Daniel Bryan would be uh, ma uh, fighting on his card or whatever, then and he does this kind of Vince impression of who the hell is he? It's quite funny. <laughs> quite funny. Yeah, I will go back and watch that. Uh, something that you shouldn't go back and watch. Like, how good is this match? This, would you say it's a five-star match? Close to it. I th yeah, I, I think um, there's there's two things that I wonder about because I think for it to be five-star, we talked about the finish, and you know, I mm. I probably didn't I, I I didn't mind the finish for the match it was, but I think if you're in a five-star match, you have to have a, a more definitive finish than that for me. Um, and also, this isn't, um, it's not a criticism of either performer, it's the scenario they're in. Um, I didn't feel like it was, um, it maybe doesn't matter in terms of the stars, but it didn't feel like the spotlight match, if you know what I mean. Well, that, that's where I was going. That's why I was asking you. Because the um, the match that that main evented this this show was um, John Cena versus John Laurinaitis. Wow, 
<laughs> this is like this punk Brian match is for the title. <laughs> like it's positioned, I think there's like two or three matches before the main event. Yeah, I, I knew it was mid card when I when I went to on the network. And it, it did leave me wondering what's above it, but I never actually looked at and I'm, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what they could have had is if they'd made that, you know, the main event, the spotlight match, I think, you, you know, you get a little bit more build, you get a little bit more TV time with that and all mm -hmm. that, and you can really build things up. But yeah, obviously they felt Johnny Ace had a, a bit more to contribute at the time. He's... he's he pops up everywhere on this podcast as old Johnny <laughs> Um This again, similar to what I was saying about the Lesnar match, this felt like this would have been a really good WrestleMania main event. Yeah. Um, especially if this had been volume one of a series and um, it was built upon and, and maybe they got, you know, like one gets one, one gets the other and you do the rubber match at WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, unfortunately it wasn't to be. But um, okay, number three. Let's jump to number two. Okay, number two has become apparent to both of us, I think, that we're we're on the same wavelength for the, the remainder of this episode. So yeah. um, let's go to number two, WrestleMania 29, for uh, CM Punk versus The Undertaker. Yeah, um, we talked previously or mentioned previously um you know emotionally charged situations and maybe um punk going a little bit too far in the build up to this i i think from memory that paul bearer had legitimately fairly recently passed away yeah. and they used that as part of the, the storyline for the build to this match um, with Punk being pretty disrespectful about all things Paul Bearer. I have heard, um, I think it was Bruce Pritchard talking on a podcast saying, you know, anyone who knows anything about Paul Bearer will say that he would have wanted uh, to be involved in, you know, his death to be used in storyline. He was that type of character, that type of personality. Um, <laughs> I'm but, sorry you know, for laughing. It's just incredible. We, we can't really question that <laughs> now. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought a bit too close to the bone for for my liking, you know. Um, but they go through the whole thing of the the disrespect and the stealing of the the urn, which Paul Heyman's carrying about on the the trip to to uh, ringside for this match. And all through the match, it's funny because we talked previous about respect and punk you know probably having the respect of the older style wrestlers mm -hmm. and um he actually is setting out to use a lot of that at the undertaker for a sign of disrespect in this match which is interesting because he, he's trying to perform undertaker's moves basically yeah um and i i, I like the matchup i like the characters i think at the time I actually believed that Punk is somebody they maybe could have ended the streak with. Um, and I still wonder if that could have happened, but you know, if he would have left the business abruptly anyway, it, it might not have been the wisest thing to do. But yeah, it, it basically starts with a, a slap to the face from Punk to Undertaker. And that's, you know, 
the next step and the signs of disrespect and uh, that prompts a very fast paced start from Undertaker mm. going for strikes um, he's, he's a very angry man um, and fairly early on in it actually you know when you compare it to matches like the Lesnar one Punk actually takes control and I imagine a big part of this is um, potentially, you know, Punk having the athleticism and the stamina to, to be able to control a match like this. Mm. Um, and he he goes for the uh, the old school rope walk move. Um, so he's he's twisted Undertaker's arm, goes up to the top turnbuckle, walks along the the ropes, and uh, comes down on, on the arm. I was um, at that point. I was expecting that to get because that is really seen as disrespectful. I, I expected that to get reversed, but when he went through it, I was like, "Oh wow!" Yeah, and it. he he does go for it again. <laughs> yeah, aye. and it doesn't it doesn't go so well the second time. Aye. But um, yeah, it, it's you know obviously with the stature of Undertaker, he has to be fine with everything that's going on. Otherwise, he's not going to do it. Um, so I, I I would think again you talk about respect and I think it's it's known that there were some people that Punk had issues with. I can't imagine. I think from Undertaker's point of view, all he would care about is somebody's you know professional in the ring, does their performance, carries uh, knives in their bag. Yeah, all, doesn't all, play all. computer games, and... <laughs> all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I, I I imagine the fact that. Undertaker allowed Punk to do these moves um, is a sign of respect. Yeah. Um, and uh, when Punk's got control, he again goes for his flying elbow drop off the top rope, uh, which which Taker kicks out of. Um, again, the, the the action you know ends up outside the ring, and uh, Undertaker goes for it. Looks like he's going to attempt to do a last ride on the announce desk, which uh, Punk counters out of. Spinning heel kick, Taker's laying prone on the, the announce table. And Punk goes up to the, the turnbuckle and uh, does the, the elbow drop onto the outside, which was, you know, nice move. It's um, It looked like maybe not the most comfortable landing, but I suppose, how could it be? <laughs> um, it's a good spot, that. Yeah, and it's... It's the type, it's, they're, they're done an awful lot now, but I think when they're done right, they still look impressive. That's the thing. Absolutely agree. Um, there's, so I've, there's twice now I've seen Punk do that. I don't know if you've watched uh, one of the other matches where he did that, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think he's going to make that. He kind of looks a little unsteady on his feet when he, he's kind of doing like the bouncing, like a kid in a bouncy castle type thing <laughs> to get a bit of um, momentum going, but it looks really cool. Yeah, Um and there's a, again, Undertaker was known, I think, latterly for this submission hold called the Hell's Gate. Um, not a big fan, you know, I prefer Undertaker not to be, it, it doesn't seem right to me, Undertaker doing submission moves, I don't mm. know why. Um, but anyway, he, he, uh, it's again countered, which gives Punk a, another chance to use the, the Anaconda Vice. I mean, it's WrestleMania, Undertaker's not going to be tapping out to a submission hold, <laughs> but... Um, the, there's a there is a point where Punk hits the GTS on Undertaker, um, and again I think it's just showing the amount of offense that the the big man and you know one of the most respected workers of all time in the business is giving CM Punk. 
mm-hmm. he, he he dominates this for you know large portions of time yeah. and uh, the undertaker has the comeback at the end but apart from that it's basically punk's match um for the the finale i think i remembered this wrong initially i always remembered that there was someone that tried to do the tombstone on the undertaker but i think that was orton it's been done a few times um roman's had him in this position as well i think in in their match um is this when um punk has got him and he he kind of does the the backward roll type thing yeah um because he's He's going for, I think, indicating he might go for a tombstone because he, he does the the Undertaker expression with the tongue out and the... Thumb uh, across the neck. Yeah. Thumb across the throat, right? Uh, yeah. And um, that, you know, normally would lead to the tombstone in Undertaker matches. Um, but yeah, Undertaker um, goes for a last ride and Punk gets the urn from Paul Heyman, hits Taker on the back of the head... And then Punk goes for the arms crossed cover. That's classy. Uh, One of my yeah. favourite bits of this match. And I get it's it's so natural because it plays into everything he's done in the build up yep. and the move set he's gone through in the match, and it it just felt like a big moment. And you know Undertaker kicks out of it, um, and it it almost came across as that is the last sign of disrespect. You know that that's it now. Yeah. Um, Punk goes for the GTS uh, Undertaker counters for the Tombstone and the win. Um, but if I'm if I'm remembering rightly, I've not written it down in my notes and I don't know why I wouldn't. Did Punk kick out of a Tombstone in this match? I think he did. Pass. I don't have I that written he, down. I think he kicks out of an initial one uh, earlier on in the match and it takes a second one. I think you're right. I think the, Taker did the... Taker had the. I, th- I think this is the. Um, this is a, the situation where Taker had the tongue out, the eyes up. Yeah. And it was over, and Punk kicked out. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, which you know, for any I think performer to kick out of a tombstone, I think you always have to be at a certain level to to be getting the chance to do that. Um, so talk about the streak and all that and it continues and I think I got to a point where I never expected it to be broken. I was quite surprised they did it in the end. Um, but I think there were some people that looked like they were very competitive and very close to doing it mm. and he was one of them. And Big uh, boss man at, at WrestleMania 15, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> uh, fun times. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I think... Of of all the match types that, you know, you mentioned he disappointed not to get the main event but got a match against The Undertaker and, again, was made to look very strong in that match. Definitely. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the disrespect. I, I wouldn't have done the Paul Bearer stuff, but aside from that, you know, everything that happened in the match I, I thought was great and I thought it it, it made him look like a heel, but a very accomplished, capable heel. Yeah. Um, in the last episode, we talked very briefly about the um, the angle with Paul Bearer, and I'd say to you that was really distasteful. Um, and then when when you see it through into the match and the kind of story that's being told, it, it works. Um, this, to me, felt like 
Punk was almost in kind of over the top pan o heel mode. Um, yeah. Him and Heyman doing what they were doing with the urn. Um, and like you've said, it, it all ties together as far as the disrespect, doing the old school, doing the, the neck slash, yeah. um, doing the tombstone and, and the pin yeah. uh, that Undertaker does. Like it was just so beautifully told. I was really, really impressed with this. I was really impressed with Undertaker. Um, I thought he looked in really good shape. Um, and I was surprised, like how you've described there, I was surprised at what Punk was all doing. Yeah. Um, something that really stood out to me about this was the entrances. Uh, I loved Punk's entrance with the, the live version of um, Cult of Personality. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Normally, when Undertaker is on my television screen, I tend to fast-forward his entrance because <laughs> I don't really have the time um, to sit about <laughs> and watch an hour-long uh, old man walk into the ring and smoke. But I watched it in full, um, and it was amazing to me how much that pulled me in to the whole atmosphere of the match. I felt like a kid watching him coming down with his music and the atmosphere. Um, it was. Uh, I was really surprised with how much it had an effect on me. That's um, awesome. That is not to say that I will be watching. F- we better never do a top five Undertaker matches because I <laughs> refuse to watch them coming in that many times. Um, but I, this must have been a really short program because we've obviously referenced the program they had with The Rock uh, up to Elimination Chamber and losing the title and then. Um, they must have had a few weeks to kind of do something to get them this match with Undertaker for WrestleMania. Yeah. So I think it, um, it's obviously, they've obviously done a really good job of building something out of nothing, almost. Yeah. Um, to have this match at WrestleMania. Um, aye. It was, a, it was a great match. I, I loved it. Uh, one of my favourite matches that I've seen Undertaker in for years and years. Nice. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I'm with cool. you. Cool. So, we've had uh, we've had The Rock, we've had Daniel Bryan, we've had Brock Lesnar, we've had Chris Jericho, we've had The Undertaker. So, um, our number one, I'm guessing, I'm guessing we're, we're on the same page here. Uh, Money in the Bank, 2011, John Cena. Yeah, it was a bit risky because we didn't actually confirm this one beforehand. But no. Yeah. Um, Did you ever think you would ever do a top five and John Cena would be number one? <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, he, he's one of those guys that I've, I've come to appreciate more in the later years. Once the frustration of him appearing in every main event for every pay-per-view for what felt like 10 years mm. had, had passed. Um, because he, he can actually be a pretty good worker. Mm. Um, and... There's a lot of good things in this match, but to be honest, so much of it is the crowd mm-hmm. and the story. Yep. Um, I think and, we spoke about that before. I think when we were talking about our greatest all-time wrestlers, a lot of the time it's not the person's work, but it's the storyline that they've been given to work with yeah. that creates that person. Yeah. Now, I, I imagine it's, it's one of the, the most well-known ones. Um, but just just for anyone who's listening that isn't aware of the story at the time, um, CM Punk had been in contract negotiations 
and I think there was an element of truth in this. I think from what I hear at the time, he was very tempted to move on. He was struggling with the schedule. He was feeling he wasn't being utilised the way he should have been. Um, I think he ended up getting a nice tour bus out of the whole thing. Um, really? But he, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, there was a documentary I saw where um, he, he basically, you, you know how they, they drive town to town after mm. shows and things like that and they're always on the road. One of his biggest gripes was, you know, getting in his car and being on the road the whole time, not having time to do anything else. Um, and they, they gave him as part of his contract this tour bus so he would have a bit more space. Um, I don't know if they paid for a driver or if he had to sort that out himself, but uh, there's a, a point in the documentary where it's he and Kofi Kingston um, and they're like playing video games on the tour bus. Oh dear. And it's uh, Mark yeah. Mark Calloway would not like he, that. He, he would not approve. Imagine how but angry he'd be at that. It's, it's a good thing he, he didn't know about that before <laughs> the mania. <laughs> but but um, apparently, you know, he and Kofi were were friends, and he would at times, you know, if they're going to the same town, get other people to ride in his bus with him. Um, but he just felt like I think he had a bed in it and stuff like that. He felt like it took the the drag out of the travel a little bit. Um, but yeah, he, so he's he's obviously signed, you know, he's re-signed before this match is, mm. is ever taking place. But the storyline they're going with on screen is that he is out of contract when this pay-per-view ends. His contract expires at the end of that night. Um, I mean, it does raise some questions if you dare thinking about it logically that, well, if you're in that situation, why are you putting the guy in the main event for the title? Doesn't really make sense, but... And, well, um, no, they did it with Jeff Jarrett, Adam. <laughs> they, um, they got to a point where... You, you know about this? Yes, I uh, do. Good. <laughs> so the yeah. reason Jeff Jarrett got fired the night that Vince <laughs> revealed that he'd bought WCW anyway. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the, the whole thing is Punk has, has said that if if he, you know, he's going to win the title and then he's walking away. He's walking away as champion. He's taking the belt with him. I think, uh, you know, in his, his uh, famous pipe bomb speech, which anyone who has an interest in watching this match should listen to, should make a point of listening to, um, he gives a, a brilliant promo while there's a, a prone John Cena in the ring um, who's just had a, a match that Punk's interfered in, um, where he's, he's basically complaining about everything that he thinks is, is wrong with the way the company's run. Um, he clearly feels like he should be the top guy and he's not. Um, apparently, um, I think this is all, you know, rumour and innuendo, uh, but apparently... He was basically told, can, can I just get a microphone and go out and say what's on my mind? And they gave him some parameters. So, you know, as you would expect, they they basically said, you have to reference the match because, you know, you're, we're selling pay-per-views here, mm. you know. Um, you have to stay on storyline. But yeah, you know, within boundaries, you can say whatever you want. So away from somebody else writing his words for him, he actually determined what he was going to say. And it comes across because it comes across as this is how I genuinely feel. Um, and he has a, a rant about the fact he's not going to be in the WrestleMania main event, but a part-timer in The Rock is. Um, he has a moan about how he is best in the ring, on commentary, on the microphone. Everything he does is the best and he's not appreciated for it. 
and then they, I think they, such a hot start and then such a good match, but they, they lose traction on it really quickly, to be honest. Um, but what they had was a really good storyline of a very over character because not only is this match taking place in Chicago, which is Cena's hometown and where he is worshipped, but also it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that maybe not to the extreme that he says it, but a lot of the people he's speaking to when he gives this promo actually agree with him. Mm. Um, a lot of the fans agree that they're pushing the wrong people, that Vince McMahon is ruining the company. You know, there's, there's a lot of people nod, sitting nodding their heads and cheering along to that. So it all brings us to this match where I think there's also a caveat that if Cena loses, he's fired, but yep. that's never followed through on, I wouldn't have thought. Um, and Vince McMahon is desperate for Punk not to leave the arena with the title. Um, so there's more back and forth between the two, um, McMahon and Punk, uh, in the, the weeks in between, um, when he's trying to get him to sign a new contract. And I think there's, you know, famous moments where Punk's demanding that they bring back uh, WWE ice cream bars and that That's his right. face should be on them or yeah. something like that. That's right. Um, at so at yeah. one point he has a t-shirt. I, I can't remember when it is. I, I've definitely seen him coming out with a t-shirt with with the uh, with the ice cream bar on it with CM Punk yeah. ice cream bars on it. Um, do, do, you know what, do you know what, sorry, do you know what I, I really like about what they did with um, Cena's character in this period uh, leading up to this match is they don't have him as the kind of stereotypical yes man that you probably would have uh-huh. in this situation um, after Punk uh, does his pipe bomb promo uh, he gets suspended and you have Cena then asking for him to get brought back because he wants yeah. to fight him Yeah, um, I really like that and and they have Punk as this kind of eh, sorry, they have Cena as this kind of uh, almost like kind of lone wolf kind of character um, that he just wants to fight him, mm-hmm. which I really liked because it would have been really easy for them, you know, like for Vince to be on Cena's side, where it's not really it's not really seen as that. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, in Chicago, as soon as you're starting the match, Cena's going to be seen as the pantomime villain because. Mm. Um, it can't really go any other way. Um, when I was rewatching this, one of my favourite things about it is the crowd reactions at the start. Um, when Cena, when Punk comes out, the the cheers and then the chanting that follow. I mean, I I remember in the Stone Cold Steve Austin era, you know, peak Austin during the Attitude era, some of the reactions were amazing when he came out. But I don't know that I'd ever heard anything quite like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so passionate towards supporting their guy. And, you know, he, he comes out. I think he has a, an embrace with his mum, who's in the crowd. Yep. Um, and then into Coca, the ring. Coca Banner's next to her as well, I'm sure. Oh, is he? Uh, in, mm-hmm. the front, in the front there, right? He sat then in the ring, cross-legged, just sitting, taking it all in mm-hmm. while they're, they're just chanting CM Punk. And there's these uh, signs, which I think are, are the ECW inspired, um, where there's like, if, if Punk loses, we riot mm. and, and things like that. Yep. And, uh, and then you, you contrast it with the reaction Cena gets, who 
he's never, well, not for years anyway, been universally loved, but he would always have a lot of cheers when he came out. Many boos, but a lot of cheers. And it's the, the booing is incredible when he comes out. And he, he doesn't he, even... He, he no-sells them, though, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, I really like that, actually. And he, he, he actually looks, and I think they reference it, that he's all business, you know. He, he, he isn't doing the posturing and the gesturing. He just wants to get on with the match, get in the ring, uh, have the match. And um, there is signs of... There's actual signs of respect from Punk as well. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's not overly sarcastically looking as he applauds Cena when he's, you know, making his way down to the ring and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the match, once it actually gets going, you know, everything Punk does is cheered. Everything Cena does is booed. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes off his T-shirt and throws it into the crowd and they throw it back. Um, and that's, it's just so bizarre to see it that position with um, Cena provoking that level of you know dislike from the fans mm-hmm. uh, but in the end not an awful lot to do with him really it's purely the situation that they're in yes. um, so yeah I, I, I've watched this match quite a few times um, and I, it wasn't one I felt the need to watch again to be honest when I was doing the research because I knew I was putting it in I knew it was going to be number one because um, of everything around it but I do remember thinking you know there were all these years of the accusations that Cena can't wrestle that that was yeah it used to be a chant that went round you can't wrestle <laughs> um, but he, he's actually and I think a lot of it will be to be who he's in the ring with but you know he's he's at worst competent he's, he's actually pretty good when he's in the, the mindset that he needs to be putting someone over yep um, and it, we saw that a lot more in the later years when I think the main part of his job was putting people over. Um, but it, it, it's a decent match in terms of the quality, but it, it's so much about the passion and the crowd and the story. Yeah. Yeah, I think going back to what you're saying there about Cena, I've seen Cena um, doing moves I'd never seen him do before in this match. Um, and also taking risks like he's the leg drop from the top rope thing that he does. Yeah. Kind of famouser type thing that he does from the top rope. Um, I I feel like th- these two f- feel like they uh, they really work well together. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time, that's that's the thing that can elevate a match. Um, yeah, I'm really surprised again at how much I enjoyed this. But like you say, the the number one big thing about this is the atmosphere. Uh, it's just incredible. I can't imagine what it might have been like to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have the the moment where Punk's in control, and uh, out comes Vince and John Laurinaitis. Yes, yes, uh, please. Johnny, yes, Johnny Ace. Tell me what you're going to say. Please tell me what you're going to say. <laughs> I now feel under pressure. <laughs> Sorry. So um, I I think what what they were going for here was something reminiscent of the 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 screw job. Screw job. Oh, okay. <laughs> Vince is uh, is coming out to make sure he gets the outcome he wants in this match, um, and he he sends Laurinaitis. Um, so Laurinaitis is clearly going to be the guy who has to in some way stop the match. Yes. Um, and then Cena pops out of the ring, um, knocks him down. No, 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 no. He does not knock him down. I think he damn near kills him. 
It's unbelievable. <laughs> you should not be clotheslining a man like that. He destroys them. So, yeah, I, I do remember thinking it was quite a brutal hit on, the, on poor Johnny, who's, you know, all he ever does is come up with finishes for people and he gets that kind of treatment. Uh, so... I think Cena then approaches McMahon and says something like, a man's going to win this fight. or so, it's, it's something like that. And he, he's not allowing it to be stopped. Uh-huh. It has to be decided in the ring. Um, which, which is in keeping with his character and everything that yeah. he's been doing up to this point. Yes. And, uh, you know, because in the next city they go to anyway there's going to be an element in the crowd that are very pro-Cena. So it's it's the logical thing to do, it's the right thing to do. Um, and it also serves as, not an excuse, but the whole thing can, can be seen as a little bit of a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact he's had to go out and do that, because I think it's fairly quick after that that he gets caught Aye. by Punk. Um, I think he pretty much comes back in and hits the GTS, does he not? Yeah. Um, and then the... There's the, the three count, and I loved, the, there's the crowd reaction, which is great. It's like a, you know, a packed house at a football game celebrating a goal. It's that moment of cheer. But there's also a look on Punk's face of, like, joy in the fact that he's been able to accomplish what he set out to accomplish. Mm. And this is something that I only pick it up from a few people. If you've just won the belt, or just achieve something significant, you should be, you know, celebrating. You should be kind of almost overcome with what you've achieved. And so often it's just a, you know, a raise of the belt and a, you know, a a sort of stern celebratory look. Mm. I still remember there was a point when Daniel Bryan won the Money in the Bank and he's, he's on top of the ladder and he's like shaking the briefcase as he pumps his fists and celebrating what was at the time his biggest moment. And I just feel like that they're lost with the fact people don't celebrate them enough at mm. times. But Punk, there's this added element of, I am going to be able to screw this company. <laughs> and it's this like twinkle in his eye. Um, and I, I just thought it was brilliant. I, I loved it. Um, and he... You know, he's he's holding the belt up to the camera, he's smiling, and then uh, Vince tries his sort of last ploy. Get the Rio out here! <laughs> yeah, he, he takes he takes over one of the commentator mics, doesn't he? Aye. He takes the headset off them, demands Del Rio out, who just won the Money in the Bank ladder match earlier in the night. Del Rio comes running out, and um, Punk... Uh, kicks him in the head before he has the chance to, to cash in and, and get his match. Yep. And then there's like this laughter as Punk is sitting on the barrier, the fan barrier, holding the belt, and he, he blows a kiss to McMahon. Yep. Um, so it's it's like he's he's healing out, but he's in Chicago, and he's, you know, the ultimate uh, fan favourite. Um, and yeah, the, the, then just seeing him disappear through the crowd um, as he, uh, the commentators are selling the fact that he's, you know, he's no longer an employee of this company come midnight. Um, and yeah, just a really well told story that 
I just wish they'd capitalised more on long term, but never mind. You know, it still I think stands out as one of the the great matches because of everything around it. Yeah, yeah, similar to a lot of the other matches we've spoken about here. In isolation, um, it's just a great match with a great story. Um, it's just unfortunate, you know. They talk. I think Punk had talked in that pipe bomb promo about going to Ring Honor or taking the belt to New Japan, um, and they could have done so much more with that. Uh, They could have been really, really um, innovative and have done something completely different with that. Um, But, yeah, unfortunately didn't. They kind of mishandled it. It's funny when you think of the parallels of what's going on just now with what AEW are Mm -hmm. doing. Yep. Um, you know, turning up on impact and things yeah. like that. And I think, you know, as you say, missed opportunity. I'd I'd probably never before heard those other companies referenced on WWE programming. Um which is I mean the fact that they were mentioned was like, you know, a starting point and they just never capitalised on it, never yeah. followed through with it. And I think he he was only a way for a couple of weeks and then they they basically held a tournament to to crown another champion because the champion's gone and then was it Rey, was it Rey Mysterio that they put the belt on I'm trying to remember um, but then you know he, Punk comes back and they have to have the unification you know uh, series and all that but it just felt like it could have gone on so much longer and been so much bigger but for what it was in that one night it was great yeah, no agreed. Um, do you have any other? Do you have any other uh, matches that you want to mention that that, that almost um, made it onto your top five? Um, no, I think the, the the one you mentioned, the the Rey Mysterio one, um, was was one I considered. There was another one with Jericho that I I watched. I can't now remember when and where it was. And I decided, well, I'm only going to have one with Jericho and I'll go for the one that I, I thought was the better match. Um, but yeah, there were, a, there were a couple I watched. Um, beyond that, there's nothing I can really remember looking at that I was thinking about putting in. What about you? I had a couple that I, that I enjoyed, but just probably weren't um, up there. I've got that this was John Cena SummerSlam 2011, but I don't, I don't know if that can be right. Um, okay. This was the one that Triple H refereed, uh, and at the end, Kevin Nash came out through the crowd and powerbombed Punk. Yeah. And then Del Rio did cash in, um, but that's making me think that that is that right? Do you know? Do you th- I think it could be. Yeah. Um, this, this is what I, th- I remember. I text you. This is the whole nonsense with um, Kevin Nash text himself and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. They really, again, <laughs> poor execution, but it was a good match, that. Yeah. Um, and I really... Sorry. Uh, I enjoyed that Jericho match as well. Um, there was a Money in the Bank match, in, uh, um, Money in the Bank 2013. It had RVD, Seamus, Randy Orton, Christian and Daniel Bryan. Okay. Uh, and uh, Punk in it. Um, and, like listening to those guys that's involved it, it looked like it was going to be a really good match but it didn't really live up to that the kind of expectation 
um, of what I had for it. I think RVD's a wee bit older here and um, he's maybe coming back for a few kind of one-off matches, which was it was quite okay. good, but not not as good as some of these that are on the list. Yeah. So that was our top five CM Punk matches. Uh, a really enjoyable, like I've said before, like I, I, this was at a time, a lot of these matches was at a time where I didn't really watch at all. Um, I remember getting back in, like probably a lot of people did round about the pipe bomb. Yeah. Um, I think I think word of mouth spread about that and uh, a lot of people got kind of interested at least. Who's this kind of Stone Cold-esque character that was uh, railing against the authority and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I really enjoyed those matches and it was a pleasant surprise to me that someone as good as him on the mic was pretty much just as good in the ring Yeah, as well. Uh, did you notice when he did the, the pipe bomb he was wearing a Stone Cold t-shirt? Yeah, <laughs> like that as well. Yeah. I also like the way he said Dwayne. <laughs> I wish I knew someone called Dwayne so that I could say that, speak to them like that. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, like for years and years now, it's been Punk's going to come back every single Royal Rumble or, or WrestleMania or whatever. Um, do you think you'd like to see him back in this current version of what, I don't know, WWE is, AEW? Would you like to see him back? I think um, if he could be what he was previously, which is the kind of thing you, you don't really know until he tries it, and I think if it was the right programme, um, I would now see him as somebody that I would want to elevate someone else. Um, and I, it would be more about getting those elements right for me. Um, I'd want there to be a good build mm -hmm. with a bit of verbal sparring, mm -hmm. um, which is a little bit tricky because it has to be somebody that can hold their own. Because there is the risk he could kind of blow somebody away with that. Yeah. Um, but from from you know a purely in ring entertainment point of view, I would like to see. It. I don't think there's any need for him to come back and you know be working hundreds of dates in a year or anything like that. I think he he could come back, have a really valuable good program or two, and then disappear a while. You know, almost like what they were doing with um, Jericho in his later WWE runs mm. and I think you put him with the right person and you could have you know a match of the year um, so yeah I, I would like to see it not knowing what he's you know I suppose the last thing he would have trained for was uh, MMA rather than wrestling so not really knowing what his, his physical conditions like I'm sure he keeps himself in, in good shape but it's something I would like to see in the right circumstances mm. I think that's what that, that my issue would be. Is I think my answer to that is no. Um, I, I don't think I would want to see him in this current version of WWE. Um, they get they seem to get so uh, bored, or they move on from things and storylines yeah. so quickly that um, I don't think they would it would do him any justice. Um, However, you know, just thinking about what you were saying there about him, putting him in with somebody that could spar with him, um, I think him and Drew McIntyre would pro possibly do something quite good together. Yeah, and that that would be an intriguing matchup to me. I think uh, 
I think Drew McIntyre is now at that kind of level where he should be able to hold his own mm-hmm. with with someone of of that kind of you know stature. Um, and I would put it this way: I'd much rather see McIntyre and Punk rather than <coughs> McIntyre and Goldberg. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I would much rather hear. I'd much rather hear like a like a punk podcast or a punk audiobook yeah. where there's no restrictions and he could speak freely. Um, I don't think we'll ever see that either. He doesn't seem like the type of guy that seems open to doing something like that. Mm-hmm. I would I would much rather hear his views on things. I know he did the Fox show Talking Smack, as that was called. Yeah. Um, it seemed a bit of a damp squib, to be honest. Um, from little clips and stuff that I've so, that I've seen online, um, yeah, I think it was built up to be this amazing thing, and he's gonna come and do the pipe bomb on SmackDown, and yeah, I I really think it was what it was, what it could have been. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it was always pretty clear as well that he was employed by Fox and not WWE at yeah. that time. Yeah. So I'm not sure just how much any relations of thought to be honest yeah i don't think so it's so funny isn't it vince seems to be able to forgive and forget with most people um, yeah but this one seems to have stuck i get the impression seeing yeah. punk's a pretty stubborn guy i think that's probably what it is it's probably two stubborn guys i don't know if you was it in a book or a podcast but i've got memories of jr saying that he when he was trying to facilitate Austin coming back after he and McMahon had had big fallouts, he just knew he needed to get them in the same room. And because they're so stubborn, both of them, that neither were going to make the first move. And I do wonder if there's similarities between Vince and Punk and maybe nobody is there to mediate making the first move. No. Well, you tell me that... um that Byron Saxton's not going to get them. <laughs> He's surely got the character to get them. In he, he maybe does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Tom Phillips. Um, aye, no, I, I, I honestly don't think we'll ever see it. But yeah. um, I, I just wonder what it might look like if he, if he was to, um, you know, there was a lot of rumours of um, AEW having the show in Chicago and he did the, the Starcast thing. Yeah. That, um, was it was that Conrad that was doing that? Yeah. Um, I wonder what that would look like. I wonder who he might work with in AEW. It's that's probably a more interesting proposition. Um, and also, I don't I don't think he would have the same creative shackles on him there. Yeah. I think if he came up with a good idea, there would be plenty of people happy to just run with it and let him run his own creative for it. Um, which might be more appealing to him. Um, and it just be, you know, there's, there's the potential for some really interesting matchups if that did happen. But I think I'm like you, I'm just not sure he's got any appetite to get back involved in the ring, to be mm. honest. Nah, it doesn't seem like it. He seems like he's quite happy doing, he seems to be doing MMA commentary yeah, um, and hanging out with his wife. And, uh, and, and I mean, uh, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Uh, okay, that was our top five CM Punk matches. Let us know um, if you agreed, if there were any matches that we missed. 
Uh, you can comment on our Instagram at middle-aged outlaws. Um, give us a look up, or you can also email us at middleagedoutlaws at gmail dot com, Adam, um, and let us know what we missed or, or what you would like us to to talk about next. Um, and on on that note, um, what we'd agreed was that uh, because I picked this punk episode, you were going to pick the next subject. So. I am eagerly waiting. Hit me with our next topic. Okay, so a little bit outside the box with this one. I like outside the um, box. What we're going to look at is we will remember the uh, invasion angle when WWE had basically bought its competition and WCW aligned with... Um, ECW to compete against WWE and I think it's generally considered to have been one of the biggest failures uh, in <laughs> wrestling history given what it could have and should have been. Yep. Um, there's obviously a whole lot of reasons played into why things went the way they, they went but um, what, what we're going to do is basically rebook how that invasion angle could have gone. Amazing. So, um, it's, a, it's a little bit more creative than, <laughs> than watching a, a series of, of matches. It'd be more about um, looking at what was there, what was available, what the possibilities were, how it could have gone, um, rather than the basic lengthy squash match that it ended up being. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I think this is... Uh, like... For for people our age, and for people that that watched the Attitude Era, and if you were a WCW fan and watched Nitro, it, this was what you maybe always wanted. This maybe not in the situation that it was in, but an opportunity to see the best of one side go against the best of the other side. Um, you've got one bald guy with a goatee destroying people on one <laughs> side, and the same on the other, um, and we never got it, did we? Yeah, and you know, there's there's reasons, and as we're doing things, we can, you know, reference the reasons uh, why things were maybe done as they were done. Um, we'll we'll talk about it as we go, but a lot of the big hitters on the WCW side were on guaranteed money from Ted Turner, and they could sit at home and get paid. They yeah. didn't actually need to go and sign for another organization, but even with what they had available to them. I think there's a general feeling that things could have been done differently and a lot better. So Absolutely. Yeah. Oh well let's see if we can put our money where our mouth is then. Um oh, that yeah. that'll be awesome. I'm looking forward to that already. Cool. Yeah. We're gonna find out how difficult it actually is to, to book a, a wrestling show. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Come listen to our cluster of awful booking <laughs> when we put uh, Sean O'Hare in a main event against Stone Cold. Uh, anyway, yeah, no. Looking forward to that. That'll be a bit different. Um, so, yeah, should be fun. Episode 7 will rebook the Invasion Angle. Awesome. Um, until then, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been Episode 6. We've been the Middle-Aged Outlaws. Stay safe, and until next time, take it easy. Cheers, Adam. Cheers. <laughs>